talk today about stories. Uh, I love stories. Y'all love stories. Stories from books. Stories from movies. But each and every one of us has a story. And I would ask y'all to think about initially, before we get into God's Word, what is your story? If you just had to say, you know, in a quick second, you know, who you are, what your story is, where you were born, where you live, what you do, who your spouse is, your family, what your passions are. What is your story? Where has God led you and, and taken you from? Where have you arrived at? What is your story? Uh, you have a story. Bellwether has a story. We're opening a new chapter to our story here today. All of us live in this world of stories. And the thing is, many of us don't like our stories. Many of us are disappointed with the stories that we are leading and living. Not all of you, but, but many are. And, and I have been, in all honesty, in different parts of my life. Here's what I mean by that. We, we go into life, and I, I would guess Joseph would be able to know this better as youth leader, but many of our youth are, are writing the stories of their life right now. Uh, when I was a youth, I was, I was writing the story. You know, I wanted to, to live here, and I wanted to, to do this, and I had these plans, and I had these dreams, and... And as many of us know, life doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it may, parts of it, but, but certainly not all of it. And we begin to lead different stories. And, and many people, I mean, I know this as pastor, many people become disappointed by the stories that they're living and leading. And they say, you know, I don't know what's going on with my life because I've got, you know, a nice house and, you know, I've got a family, I've got food on the table, but... You know, I'm not happy the story in this life that I'm living and leading. And isn't there more? And, and why don't I feel it? And why don't I feel like this sense of maybe purpose or maybe place? And people aren't excited about uh, the stories that they're living. And, and honestly, I believe, Lynn and I were talking about it this week. We see such a dramatic uh, effect on people's lives when they go to Honduras or they go to a third world country because here's what they see. They see, okay, this is their story. They may not say it like that. Here's their story. God divinely had them be born and live in this third world country in this, you know, shack or a couple, you know, four cloths of a house and they're in poverty and yet they're happy. And here I come back to my world and my story and I have these things and, and I don't, I'm not happy. And I really think that's one of the big reasons, not the only reason, that people come back and they're dramatically impacted when they do mission in a third world country. They see these other stories and they're like, they, they're happy. And this, this is the story God wrote for them. They're not going to get out of this situation. And I'm, I have all this and, and I'm not. We have great expectations for our lives. And often those expectations uh, don't live up to how great they might be in our minds. We have them for our lives. We also have them for our children. You saw my three boys up here. Linda gets on to me because I've already got my, my plans for their life in their mind. You know, Jack is the oldest. He, he, I think he's going to be some type of engineer, builder. I, I plan on him going to either West Point or Annapolis. That would be the Army or the Naval Academy. Uh, Logan is the artist. And over Thanksgiving, he was on a piano, and he was tuning that thing, I mean, just playing a song. I'm like, what? where did that come from? He's going to be the artist. And then Ethan, my lone hope, is the baseball player. He's going to be the athlete. And, you know, I'm, I'm holding out. God, just give me one. Just give me one. That's all I ask. 
So, but I've already got these plans. I've got these expectations for my boy's life. And I, I would dare say many of y'all have expectations for your children's life. And so our expectations may not meet the reality of what happens. And unfortunately, people can be disappointed in their kids. And we don't want that to happen, but I'm just stating a reality. You have great expectations for this church. Some of you may have had these expectations when we began. You know, we started and, you know, we were going to have, you know, we we're going to have 2,000 people, you know, by the end of the first year. You know, we, we knew it, had those expectations. We were going to probably be given, you know, a building such as this, you know, six, nine months in. That might have been an expectation. I don't know what your expectation was. Maybe some people, hey, I expect to, not me, but some folks may say, I expected to worship in a home for the rest of our time and never have a building. That, we have different expectations for bellwether. We have expectations for our Christian lives, that, you know, the heavens would be open and everything would go well. Expectations. Stories. Today, we're going to continue the series I'm calling Welcome Home. We opened last Sunday night saying if Jesus is your home, you have both a purpose and a place. Today, I want to talk about what to expect. What to expect when Jesus Christ is your home. Let's look at Scripture, Matthew 1, and we're going to be, through this Christmas season, reading classic passages of the nativity story of the birth of Christ and and going a little deeper in them. So, Matthew 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, as he did as the angel as the Lord commanded him, he took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. What to expect when Jesus is your home. First thing, expect that life will not be as you expect it. Life will not turn out as you expect it. Life will not go as you expect it. Life will not be as you planned when Jesus is your home. And I use this passage because I look at Joseph and being a proud dad today, focusing on Joseph the father, he had some plans. You know, he Fell in love with Mary, was going to marry her, and then this, this drama, this controversy came up that she was expecting. And it says here, Joseph, being, being a decent man, being a righteous man, was willing to dismiss her honorably and give her honor. And he had, he had the plan, you know, all laid out. It's okay, you know, we can still work this out, you can, you can have some honor, you know, it's not going to work out that we're going to get married, but... We'll roll with it. So he, so he had his, his plan. God had another plan for Joseph. 
And it wasn't in Joseph's plan for his life to be shepherding Mary and her child to Bethlehem. And then, you know, sometimes we forget they spent probably three or four, maybe five years in Egypt. Joseph probably was not like a man of the world, traveled all around the Middle East. He cared for them, took them in, protected them. God had a plan. It wasn't Joseph's plan. It was a better plan. And Joseph had more purpose in that plan, but it wasn't his deal. It didn't work out the way Joseph had anticipated. And for us, you know, often, you've heard it said probably many times, you know, you become a Christian and we expect, you know, just life to be wonderful or everything to be easy. And those of us who've been at this walk, we know it, it may actually be more challenging. It may be more difficult. There may be more trials. You know, an example from our life, you know, we had, we we're blessed to have Jack and Logan. And, and honestly, there were several families in our, in our church family who struggled to get pregnant or who had complications in their pregnancy. I mean, many. And, and Linda and I were honored to, to pastor them and love them and pray for them. We'd have prayer services uh, for conception. Uh, and, you know, we just we felt so blessed. We had Jack, Logan, Linda was healthy, you know, all good. And, you know, I was just expecting, man, you know, you know, what's, who knows, let's keep on rolling, go for the Von Trapp family. I don't know, one of my favorite movies, Sound of Music, and you know, I might have seen it this week. But, you know, we'll just keep rolling. You know, man, just great. And then we had the first miscarriage, and, you know, that was six weeks in, and, you know, Linda was older. I mean, it, you know, it hit. And, and then, I'll never forget, we'd just gotten back from India on a mission trip. It was in the doctor's office, and Linda had gotten pregnant again. We are just like, you know, it's a blip on the radar. Just keep, you know, moving forward. And I, I'm never forget working on a sermon in the waiting room, you know, just thinking, all good. You know, go in there for the sonogram at 12 weeks. And those of y'all, you know, who've had kids and blessed and, you know, with Jack and Logan, I remember being in there and, you know, the sonogram would come up and you just see this little, you know, this little, this little flit, 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 you know, little heart. And, and instantly it came up and just for a split second, something off because there was no flit. It was just there. So, you know, miscarriage. And it, it impacted us. As it's a life. I always say, you know, you say life begins at conception. You live it when you go through things like that. And many of you, many of you have, many of you have, many of you have gone through other trials in, in pregnancy or to get pregnant. And, you know, I believe God gives us trials to help one another and lead us to a stronger place. Uh, to a greater sense of purpose. And I know that that's what he was doing. And I know that, you know, we have three children in heaven that we will one day meet. Now, all that to say is, you know, my, I had my plans. I had my expectations. God has a different plan. You have your plans and expectations, and life usually will work out in, uh, in, another, in another way. So life is not what we expect. Secondly, we have relationships with those whom we do not expect. We have relationships with people who we might never be in relationship with when home is in Christ. We have relationships with those that we might not want to have relationships with when our home is in Christ. If you look at this passage, it talks about here, Joseph, you know, he was going to honorably just move Mary away, but the Lord says, Joseph, you're going to be in a pretty intimate relationship with Mary. 
but also a relationship with my son. And guess what, Joseph? He's not really your biological son. And you're going to treat him as your son. You're going to adopt him. You're going to be his earthly father. What an honor, what a, what a task, what a privilege for Joseph. But, you know, if I were Joseph, I was like, man, I'm not asking for this. I'm a simple carpenter. I want to build. I want to build people's houses. I want to build furniture. I didn't ask for this. No, Joseph, you're chosen for it. Many of us will face situations in life and say, God, I didn't ask for this. God's reply will be, no, but I'm cho- choosing you for it. This is your call. This is your purpose. And so Joseph entered into relationships, and many more that we, we don't know or have witness to in Scripture, entered into a relationship with Mary, entered into a relationship with Jesus the child. And then also, though, and this is what's key, entered into a deeper relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. You know, it is such an honor to name a child. When you have your child and give them a name. And with Ethan, a year ago, we had him. And, you know, we were one of those. We were just really torn. We were like, you know, got four or five names, whittled him down to two. Then he was born, still had two. So, you know, went through, I don't know, seven, eight hours and he was baby boy Tate number three. And, you know, then the pressure gets on where Linda's like, okay, I'm good with either two. Your call. And I'm like, ooh. I mean, you know, it's like, it's my, it's my call. It's, she's like, I was like, you serious? You lean? No, I'm good. Either one. And I had this moment, I digress a little bit, but I had this moment, went to the hospital bathroom, and I just got on my knees. This is a naming, you know, naming the, my son. And, you know, this was his name. And, you know, I prayed and I'm not going to tell you all the other names because then you'd probably start calling him that. But anyway, I, I said, you know, just Ethan came to me and actually Psalm 89 was tied to Ethan. But so, you know, just this heaviness and weight and joy of naming a child. Joseph didn't name this child. He was already named Jesus. But the reason I say this and it ties into having relationships is says that Jesus he will save his people from their sins. You're like, what does that mean about relationships? Well, what that means is he will save his people from their sins. You're like, what does that mean? His people, us, us, we're all sinners. We have this common ground. We're on the same playing field as we are broken sinners. And so even if you don't know someone or don't like someone or maybe wouldn't like, you know, be part of a supper club or something, you know, we're all, we're all broken. And as his church, we come together. And let me say this, community is a lot more tougher than just going it on your own. And you got to be in relationship with people that you may never be in relationship with as a church. And in order for a church to grow and the kingdom to grow, you have to be in further relationships. People outside the church, maybe people who aren't Christians, and maybe have different interests and likes, and all, but that is what God calls us to, and we can do that because we're all broken people. I said it last week. There's nobody ordinary. No life is ordinary. We're called to be in these relationships, and we can do that, not just because we're broken, but also the name Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. God changes hearts, minds, perceptions, the way we look at people, the way we function in relationship. He builds us as a community, and we can do that and be joyful about it and be in relationship with people that we might never be in relationship with, that we might harbor bitterness with. Forgiveness, reconciliation. We can learn to love them. 
to be in relationship, in community. So, when Jesus is your home, life is not as you expected it. You're in relationships with people that you don't expect. But third, you can expect God to show up. God to show up. Scripture continues. It says, The prophet said, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Which means God with you. Which means God here now. Which means you may experience or feel lonely, but you will never experience true loneliness or being alone because you are not alone. Jesus is with you. Jesus will show up in your life. Let me say this. We have lost... Not just bellwether, but I believe in our world today, we've lost a sense of God showing up in big and powerful and miraculous ways. Quotes the Old Testament here. The Old Testament prophets expected the Messiah to come. Many of the Old Testament prophets died expecting the Messiah to come. Many Old Testament prophets were okay when they died and said, I know He will come. They died in faith. The New Testament church expected Jesus to return. They expected Him daily. They expected Him hourly. They lived with a sense of expectation that God would show up in Jesus, in their churches, in their lives, from the heavens. We've lost that. And you're like, yeah, you know, I don't live my life expecting Jesus to come today. Yes, that, but more so. We lose a sense of just expecting God to show up we put greater expectations on our gifts and our relationships and our connections. We're like, we'll work it through there. And we really, let's get, let's get down and truthful. Many really don't expect God to show up in their lives or their marriages. But He does. And He will. And we want you to have faith that when Jesus is home, God shows up. What do I mean when Jesus is home? When you have Jesus in your heart, when you reside and abide in Him, He shows up. He shows up in your work, when you're, you're, you're floundering maybe in it. He shows up in your dating life. He shows up in your marriage. He shows up in your life and giving you purpose. He shows up in our church. And, and I, I pray for myself, for my family, for our church, that we would live in greater expectation of God showing up. I sound like a broken record, but this place is a wonderful example of God showing up. Didn't happen through connections or relationships or angles or, you know, all of that. God dropped in our lap. And here we are. God showed up. He will continue to show up when we place our faith in Him. Last story before closing. I'm reading a biography of C.S. Lewis. Love C.S. Lewis. Wonderful biography. Easy to read. And there's a chapter on Lewis's conversion. Because he was an atheist. So he was an atheist who converted to Christianity. And he was converted in one conversation with J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings guy, Hobbit guy. Supposedly this new Hobbit movie is actually better than... I didn't see last year, but I hear it's pretty good. Anyway, they became good friends. Tolkien was a Christian. Lewis always had a problem with Christianity because people tried to convert him, and they tried to convert him saying, like, no, this, this is truth, and it, you know, it's absolute, and you need to be a Christian because... You're bad, you know, God came, say, all, all the rational explanations, all the, the truth, all of those arguments, Lewis could always circumvent. He was a brilliant guy. Tolkien took it from a different angle. He said, Jack, C.S. Lewis' nickname was Jack, friends called him Jack. He said, Jack, you love stories, 
You write stories. You write beautiful stories. What if the, the God I believe in in Christ has always been in these stories that you love to read? And what if the greatest story of them all is God saying, I'm going to become flesh, live amongst you. I love you so much that I'll die for you. And Lewis was so moved in the heart by this story that he said, I've converted to Christianity not from my mind or not because of a rational thought, because of my heart and my imagination. And here's the thing that I hope all of you will know or one day know. Your story is tied up. It's interwoven in the greatest story of all. The story of God becoming flesh, dying for us, changing lives, that we're part of this great narrative of redemption and restoration of the world, of our mission statement, raising the kingdom. That yes, life will not be what you expect, but is far greater and better than any of our expectations. And it will tie us in relationships with people that we would not have expected, but will be so richer and we'll be far better for it. And God will show up. He'll show up every day, every hour, every minute of our life. For your life and for Bellwether. So I don't know where you are this Christmas season. You know, you've heard it probably as a broken record too. You know, it's a season where people can be lonely, miss those lost, miss those that aren't there. God's there. God's always been there. And I want us and I want Bellwether to be caught up in this grand story of God coming to us, changing us, where we can go as his people change lives in the world. It's Bellwether's call. It's your call. That's the church of Jesus' call. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your story, and thank you for our story. We had no control or call about when and where uh, we live and, and gifts that you have given us, but I pray that we would see our lives in, in such a different light and that we would have these great expectations of you to not just play a role in our lives, but to live and dwell in our hearts where we could live and dwell together in community as your church and go forth from here and live your story of redemption and restoration. I pray for lives here that they would be restored. They'd be restored as we take communion together. They'd be restored in prayer and power of the Holy Spirit. They'd be restored by you showing up. You already have. I simply pray they'd see you. In Jesus' name, amen.